Welcome to the second episode of the LMS podcast. In this episode, I figured what we'd start with would be um, defining an LMS and clearing up some of the ambiguity about LMSs versus LCMSs versus CMSs versus SISs. Um, basically, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of various different riffs on a theme, uh, and I figured it'd be a little bit helpful if we just sort of went through quickly uh, to figure out what all of those various acronyms mean. Uh, as your guide today, my name is Mark Morrow, uh, and like I said, this is the LMS Podcast. So, an LMS. Um, LMS stands for Learning Management System, and strictly speaking, it's a system which mostly these days tends to be a software as a service. Um, is primarily oriented toward delivering content to students, helping to manage pre-existing resources, so handouts that have already been created, tests and quizzes which are completed, um, and it's mostly learner-facing. So some examples of that could include Haiku, things like Blackboard Learn, Blackboard on Campus, or Moodle. Uh, and we'll get more into those examples in later episodes. But the, the crux of the LMS, the Learning Management System, is essentially you already have content that's created. You want to get it to the people who are learning. Uh, that is essentially what the learning management system allows you to do. Uh, it also allows for a limited degree of interaction between student and teacher uh, insofar as students can upload some of their work, um, teachers can take a look at it, and then teachers can um, sometimes comment on it and hand it back to them. Uh, we'll also get into that a little bit more in later episodes because there are a lot of people who argue that the learning management system in general uh, may not be the best model going forward. So um, LCMSs, Learning Content Management Systems. Those, uh, like their name suggests, are more focused around the content that goes into an eventual LMS. Uh, and this is where things get a little bit blurry, though, because LCMSs tend to have a lot in common with LMS systems, mostly because it makes sense to integrate the distribution with the creation. So learning content management systems um, tend to focus a little bit more on the back end and the creation of content which would eventually go into a learning management system. Um, so for some people, a learning content management system is going to make a lot of sense, um, especially uh, if you are involved in maybe creating a curriculum that's going to go into um, other teachers' learning management systems. But for the most part, um, from a teaching standpoint and from the district standpoint, unless you're creating your own custom content, you're probably going to want to stick with an LMS. Um, some examples of LCMSs uh, are Blackboard's Learn platform, uh, which is really the big one, is from what I can tell in education. Now, CMS, Content Management Systems. Boy, is this one fraught with um, a little bit of discussion. So a content management system is exactly what it sounds like, uh, and it's geared toward organizing pre-existing content on the back end or creation of that content, but also on the back end. It's generally not a user-facing component. Uh, so those systems um, seem to have at their core the benefit of allowing for both content portability, so future-proof compa future compatibility, but um, also for a lot more interactive content generation if you really want it to be. Um, some examples for, for example, um, WordPress 
is a, an excellent CMS, and that should also give you a clue as to what CMSs tend to be. Um, I know I personally um, used WordPress, well, my professor used WordPress with us uh, on a course in grad school, and all of us essentially co-created this blog, um, which turned into a wonderful learning experience because after a little bit of prodding, we were really able to comment on each other's stuff, um, put up posts, uh, people started to put up posts just on their own, uh, and it really developed into a learning community, which is a lot more um, constructivist and um, a lot more learner-focused uh, than actually some of these learning management systems. So content management systems, though, uh, don't necessarily do a great job, per se, of you know things like grades or uh, allowing students to submit final pieces of work that then just sort of live there forever um, in these nice little siloed areas. So if that's what you're looking for, you might still be better off with an LMS, but I think an, a CMS, uh, content management system, is definitely going to be something you wanna look at uh, to either run next to your learning management system or in conjunction with your learning management system. That being said, uh, going back up to learning content management systems, so taking a step back real quick, uh, you may be asking yourself, well, if I want to run a CMS next to an LMS or in conjunction with an LMS, um, why don't I want a learning content management system? My response to that would be you don't necessarily want a learning content management system um, over a learning management system and a content management system simply because your choices are going to be more constrained. So learning management systems are going to be very good at um, you know sort of posting the content out there, taking you know work from students that you can grade, then hand back, a very traditional top-down model. Learning management systems are going to be a little bit better doing that kind of dedicated work than content management systems are, uh, or excuse me, than learning content management systems are. Content management systems, so the CMS, is going to be a lot better at some of that um, sort of in the moment content creation. This might not be perfect, but let's go for it. Um, so blogs are an excellent example, like WordPress. Um, anything where students sort of tend to work together and it, it, it might get a little bit messy, uh, but, but they're constructing something. I think that the two complement each other well, but they don't necessarily and shouldn't necessarily live within the same product. Um, by breaking it out into an LMS and a CMS, you have the opportunity to get stuff that LMSs are good for, um, which is you know putting a handout, uh, collecting finished work, um, communicating with parents and students by some sort of a built-in calendar functionality, all of that, while having a CMS, a content management system, really do the stuff that it's good for, which is the content that is constantly in flux, constantly changing, uh, and is constructivist and being built by everybody. So, um, before we move on, I'd like to sort of give a little bit of a teaser for the, the end of this series. You may be wondering, based on what I've said about learning management systems and content management systems and the fact that they complement each other well, um, but that, you know, one is for turning stuff in kind of top down, the other is for, you know, making the magic happen in the moment, you know, where people are constructing things. You may be wondering as to whether or not we really need learning management systems at all, or if there's some better way we might be able to do this. Um, little teaser, we're going to talk about that in the final episode of this podcast. 
So now that we have maybe a rough idea of what constitutes a learning management system as opposed to a learning content management system as opposed to a content management system, I'd like to move on to some of the technical considerations uh, that you need to keep in mind if you're you know, looking at learning management systems and trying to figure out which one or if one is best for you. Uh, and by those technical considerations, what I'm really talking about um, is the kind of standards and interoperability protocols that you kind of need to be on the lookout for to make sure that the content you put into a learning management system doesn't live and die there, um, that you can switch over if, per se, um, you're running Moodle and you decide to switch to a different management system. It'd be nice to know that your content could migrate with you. There are um, a number of different interoperability protocols and standards which have been developed over the years. One of those is called SCORM, uh, the Shareable Content Object Reference Model. Um, that is a mutually agreed upon way of coding content, which is designed to ensure that content imported into one LMS can be used in another. Uh, this one is not a standard per se. Uh, this is actually a collection of different standards, which has been brought together in a streamlined, more mutually agreed upon way. Um, actually, it's by Advanced Distributed Learning, uh, which is partly supported by the U.S. Department of Defense. Uh, so this is another one of those U.S. government projects which is filtered out into the wider world. Um, and to a certain degree, it shows. SCORM was really designed for training, uh, to train government employees, to train members of the military. Um, so as a result, what it's really good at is packaging up little training modules and then slotting them in and moving them around. So if you have a, a pre-created training module uh, that's sent to you from someone else, if your LMS is SCORM compliant, um, you should be able to take that content module and slot it into your learning management system, Lack, Stock, and Barrel, and have it run. Um, it was not really designed for some of the more um, constructivist ideas uh, around education, as it were. Um, it was really designed for training. Uh, but that being said, it does allow these various different content models to play nicely with, you, with each other, which is really important. Um, another interoperability system is called the Schools Interoperability Framework. Now that is managed by the SIF Association, and it's designed to be platform agnostic and thus freely available to anyone creating a learning management system. Now, hot take real quick. One thing you're going to notice is that a lot of these are managed by foundations or associations, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something to keep in mind that some of these standards uh, are themselves promoted by organizations which have their own agenda. Um, if you're really looking for a nerdy good time, uh, you can go out and find um, some of these guys who are kind of talking smack about the other team. Um, it, it really is quite a treat. So getting back to SIF, the school's interoperability framework, this kind of acts as a connective tissue um, which allows data from various different applications to be mutually intelligible. Now at first blush, it seems like this might be the same thing as SCORM, but what we're really looking at here with SIF is more individual little bits and bytes of data being able to be sent from one application to another rather than objects or entire modules. Um, so SIF is like 
text edit, let's say, and SCORM is more like a PowerPoint. Text edit is just text and can be copied and pasted anywhere. Um, so, you know, if you want to send that email from Gmail to Hotmail, sure, great, because really all you're sending is text, maybe a little bit of rich text, depends on how you format it, but we're getting off topic. PowerPoint is more of a package deal. If you want to send a PowerPoint, you send a PowerPoint and it has to be opened that way. Um, SIF can be particularly useful for integrating a learning management system with a student information service. Um, and it's because it's less about content interoperability, such as, you know, I need, I've designed this course and I need it to be able to run within this other program and more about data interoperability such as I have the birth date of so-and-so and I need this program to realize that this date is April 14th and I need that program to realize the date is April 14th so I'm not typing it 500 times um, so even today standard interoperability is a big issue and it's not completely solved nor do I expect it to ever really be completely solved um, data interoperability is just one of those things where no matter how much we end up agreeing upon standards, um, some standards aren't going to be fully supported, you're going to have bugs, you're going to have issues. Um, and that's something we'll talk about a little bit too uh, in, a, in the upcoming episodes. Another standard uh, is LTI, Learning Tools Interoperability. Uh, and this one is kind of... Is, is more of a platform standard than anything else. So the goal of this one is the facilitation of integrating outside apps into learning management systems. So if you imagine some of these more modern learning management systems like Canvas as being uh, Android or iOS or Windows or OS X, uh, so pretend that they're operating systems in their own right, then LTI is the um, connective tissue, or API as it were, um, which is really kind of designed to allow things like um, Google Drive or um, other um, sort of independently created apps to run in conjunction with learning management systems. So let's say the learning management system wants to um, create some kind of um, audio recording capability. Well, in theory, you could use learning tools interoperability to help take a third-party app that already does voice recording well and integrate it into the learning management system so you don't, so the learning management system doesn't have to do everything. Uh, it can focus on being a learning management system and other kinds of considerations can just sort of be brought in um, as needed by teachers. Um, now, the standard for learning, learning tools interoperability is overseen by the Global Learning Consortium. Now, I've got two more of these that I want to go through. Um, and one of these, um, called Common Cartridge, uh, is, well, it, it, I won't say it's controversial because it's not. Uh, but some of the differences between itself and SCORM are sometimes a little bit difficult to understand. Um, so Common Cartridge is a format developed by IMS, and it tends to be more useful in the education setting than SCORM is. Um, even though SCORM is really big in the education market in its own right, um, Common Cartridge really is taking some of the philosophy of SCORM um, and tailoring it more so to education than SCORM ever was. 
Uh, and as a result, there's been a little bit of a rivalry between IMS and SCORM um, over which format is the best format. Now, remember, thinking back to SCORM, SCORM is not really a is not really a format or a standard, but it's a protocol which is a collection of standards. So as a result, Common Cartridge, Common Cartridge, excuse me, actually uses some components that are also found in SCORM. Um, so Common Cartridge is designed to move whole chunks of courses between various different LMS systems. And um, SCORM is a little bit more um, about moving smaller bits of data about individual students and their performance. Uh, now that's not to, that is not to confuse SCORM with learning tools interoperability, which is even smaller, or excuse me, with um, SIP, schools interoperability, which is even smaller chunks of data. But SCORM is a little bit more modular based on the fact that it is a collection of standards rather than a standard in and of itself. Uh, and Common Cartridge is really a much more tightly packaged deal where you either kind of accept the cartridge or not. Um, a lot of learning management systems use it though. So if you're looking at a learning management system, you probably have interest in seeing whether or not it um, is compliant with Common Cartridge. Now. Uh, we talked a lot about SCORM, Common Cartridge, um, and uh, to a certain degree, Learning Tools Interoperability. But there's kind of a, a last one which sounds actually kind of promising, uh, which is the Tin Can API. Uh, API stands for Application Programming Interface. And it's an attempt by the same people who created SCORM to update the protocol for a new era. Um, so just FYI, the last updated available SCORM protocol was 2004. Um, so if you can think back to 2004 um, and grab your flip phone, that was the last time SCORM got updated. So the Tin Can API um, is really sort of a recognition by them that um, you know there are a lot of different web standards, there are a lot of different um, computing standards in general which have cropped up over that time that really could be making their job easier um, and, and probably are necessary in the modern world. So because the protocol is so new, uh, the problem is it's really only supported by Moodle, Blackboard, and Sakai out of the big names in education, uh, which is not to disparage it at all. Moodle is a big name in and of itself, especially with Blackboard on board, uh, but that does mean that it looks like some of the smaller learning management systems might not be fully on board with it. But uh, one of the big benefits that I saw when I was looking at this API is that uh, it can actually be integrated into offline applications as well. Uh, so if you think um, about Google, for example, I know we're, it sounds like we're switching gears, but, but hold on with me. If you think about Google, uh, Google, you know, by virtue of, um, you know, embedding cookies in your browsers, uh, convincing you to use Google services, applications, that sort of a thing, Google knows a whole lot about you, even if you're not necessarily on google.com. Uh, Google is able to sort of track you throughout your web journey uh, to better understand you as a web user. Well, the Tin Can API, what makes it so interesting, uh, at least to me, is it's based on that same idea that your learning is not going to necessarily happen inside the learning management system or within the little walls of its content garden all of the time. So the Tin Can API, its goal is to be able to follow you around no matter where your learning happens to take place, um, even if that's offline. Uh, and so the, the benefit, the real benefit I can see to that is, you know, if this thing gets picked up widely enough, 
data and information about a student can really be able to grow organically and a fuller picture of the learner can be created. Uh, and with the, you know, the right tools and the right understanding, the right training for that, a teacher can really take that data and run with it. Um, I know uh, when I was student teaching, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, it would it, be great to know, be great to know, you know, what a student thought about X or, you know, I have them off writing something, but it's kind of in a little black box. You know, it'd be great if there was a way I could get information and the data and the analytics and all of the stuff that you can get uh, through some of these learning management systems and through um, having them, you know, work on a document online or something like that it'd be great if you know they could work on it anywhere offline online internet connectivity wasn't an issue um, especially in schools it just sounds very cool so the tin can api looks like it's in its early stages but uh, if it can get picked up by enough learning management systems and third parties i think it really has an opportunity to do something cool so um right now we're going to take a break um, I really appreciate you sticking with me through this podcast journey. Uh, this is my first podcast, so uh, I hope you've enjoyed. Um, we are going to be back with another episode, uh, and our next episode will focus on um, what is the use case for an LMS. So we've, we've kind of defined what an LMS is. We've talked a little bit about some of the more boring, nerdy, standards type stuff related to LMSs. Uh, and now I want to get into, uh, in the next episode, why would you use an LMS? What's the whole point? Uh, and, and should you, really? Uh, so that's what's coming on the pipe. Uh, thank you for sticking around. I've been Mark Morrow. Uh, if you want to and are so inclined, you can follow me at Mark Lee Morrow on Twitter. Um, thank you very much and have a wonderful day. This has been the Learning Management System Podcast.